0: So it is uh, April 29th. It's 2015. Our message this evening is called "Meek and Mighty." And uh, I'm going to tell you that today, in a personal prayer time, spending uh, just moments before the Lord, I asked him to teach me something. I spent a lot of time teaching other people, and that is a scary proposition. Um, I asked if he would give me something personally. Now The fact that I'm going to present it is not why I was seeking it. I was literally seeking it for me. And I just think it's always a good idea to teach out of your personal experience. But do you understand the difference between seeking God to get something for someone else and seeking God to get something to apply personally in your life? Okay. Uh, Meek and mighty. I want to start with a quote from Golda Meir. And so that you will know who Golda Meir is because we have various ages in here, and that name means something to some of you, and not a lot to some of the others who are younger. Golda Meir was the fourth prime minister of Israel, and she literally served in some capacity there for her whole life. She was born in the Ukraine, but raised in the United States and made Aliyah to Israel. The kind of things that she saw in her lifetime was the early Zionist movement Uh, She went all the way through World War II. She was not in a concentration camp, but she watched the Holocaust of her own people. Uh, In 1948, she witnessed the war for independence. In 1967, she witnessed the six-day war, and she was prime minister in 1973 in the war for Yom Kippur. This is an extraordinary person. When you are thinking of her, she could be likened unto the biblical judge Deborah. Deborah was someone who reluctantly went to war uh, because they had a plan from God, they, uh, and generals went with her, a woman appointed for the task. Much the way that many people think of Margaret Thatcher in uh, England, Golden My Year was the Margaret Thatcher before there was a Margaret Thatcher. David Ben-Gurion was the very first prime minister in Israel, and he said of Golda Meir, this is the best man in the Israeli government. (laughs) 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 And uh, She was often referred to as Israel's iron lady of politics. You won't hear about her in the feminist movement because she didn't hold their ideals, and yet she is the epitome of someone who achieved much from very little and uh, broke every stereotype that there could be. It was said of her that she had a gray bun, a strong will, was straight talking, and was the grandmother of the Jewish people. So suffice it to say, this is a woman that could be admired. Gold in my ear (laughs) is famous for saying, don't be so humble that you're not great. And at first, that is going to sound a little bit contradictory. And there's a reason for that. We've misunderstood the concept of humility and meekness. She's lampooning that with the quote. She's actually speaking to a kind of false humility. Turn with me to Numbers 12, and I want to read you a phenomenal statement. This will be Numbers 12, and starting in verse 3, say there when you are there. If you've ever seen any of the movies, read the documentaries about the Munich Olympics and the things that happened there. Uh, Golda Meir was prime minister during that time. Uh, If this doesn't mean anything to you, hopefully the scripture that we're going to read will begin to make the point for us. Um, In Numbers 12, starting in verse 1, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Two people very close to Moses are slandering Moses because they don't like a choice that he has made. And the Lord heard it. Boy, isn't that comforting that the Lord hears what is going on in our lives. Now, verse three. Now, Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Does anybody else feel the irony in that statement? Moses wrote the book of Numbers. So the most humble man on the planet wrote that he was the most humble man on the planet. This is something akin to being given a medal for humility and having it taken away because you wore the medal. I can only say that this ought to force us to redefine the way that we look at humility. I've watched Christians say no after you. No, no, after you, and literally cannot walk through a door because they're trying to epitomize something that they think is meekness. Terrified to do anything in any way that might cause anyone anywhere to think that they were worth anything at all. I think this is what Golda Meir was making fun of. Don't be so humble that you're not that great. Now, we do not have selfish ambition But at the same time, we ought to have God's ambitions. At the same time, we ought to have His desires. It might be better if we considered a passage like Matthew 5.5 that says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth in light of the rest of the Scripture. What does that mean, the meek, they will inherit the earth? Those that cannot walk through a door? Those are the ones that inherit the earth? Those that are incapable of speaking up because they wouldn't want anyone to think that they had something to say. Are these the people that will inherit the earth? What, in fact, is meekness and what, in fact, is humility? You know, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 3, something on the subject. In Romans 12, in verse 3, He describes what I believe to be a great definition for meekness or humility. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. What if, in fact, meekness, what if, in fact, humility is not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to or more lowly than you ought to, but thinking of yourself the way that God does? Now, what if we are not talking anymore about the way that you feel or the way you think? But what if we're talking about acting? What if your ambition is not causing you to act, your fear is not causing you to be passive, but instead the only thing that would cause you to act is God acting in you? Could we not say that that was meekness or humility? This is not the way that you'll hear the word used. But consider this. You can put on the screen that uh, picture of meekness. It's very difficult sometimes to display Greek or Hebrew fonts in here, so I took a picture of it. I hope you can read that. If you can't, I'm about to read it to you. Uh, Praoites. Praoites is the word that is usually translated meekness. If it is translated as meek, it would be uh, praoite, which is 4235. When you're considering that, this definition says... Primarily, it does not denote an outward expression of feeling, but an inward grace of the soul, a calmness towards God in particular. It is the acceptance of God's dealing with us, considering them as good in that they enhance the closeness of our relationship with Him. However, priorities encompasses expressing wrath towards sin of man as demonstrated by the Lord Jesus Himself. The reason that I say this is you would never think of a meek person as able to demonstrate anger and wrath. But if you define meekness or humility simply as a lack of resistance to God's will, that's the right way to think of humility or meekness. Humility is not the man that has the cure for cancer, but cannot tell you it has the cure for cancer because he does not want you to think too highly of him suffice it to say the christian world has grossly misrepresented meekness meekness is often viewed as weakness i would say weakness would be all of god's power only used at his discretion could you agree with that when you're thinking on this subject the emphasis is not so much on how you feel but on what you do with the will of god I want to encourage you, when we move forward talking about meekness and mighty, do not think of meekness and humility as a poor, beggarly spirit. Meekness is a lack of resistance to what God wants to do. Humility is a lack of resistance to what God wants to do. You do not think of yourself so highly that you would ignore God's will, and you do not think of yourself so lowly that you will not do God's will. The meek and the humble person accepts god's will somebody say amen on the house of god turn with me to numbers 25 i want you to notice that when i am teaching a subject because the way that the lord teaches it to me we always try to display this on the first floor of the building and what i mean by that is you cannot have a new testament concept of meekness that is different than an old testament concept of meekness because god has not changed There is not a different Old Testament God than New Testament God. In fact, the very terms Old and New Testament may imply in your heart something that is not entirely correct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus' nature in the first century was no different than Jesus' nature in the first day of the creation. That nature put on flesh and walked among us. If you see a difference between the two, you are mistaken. There is a continuity in Scripture, a contiguous revelation that's being revealed. And when you want to see what meekness is or what mighty is, a great place to look is let's see where the foundation starts and then what its pinnacle looks like. Well, the foundation is in the Older Testament. In Numbers 25, we're going to pick up in verse 1. Say there when you're there. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people who ate and bowed down before these gods. I'm sorry, the people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. And the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, somebody say judges, Judges. each of you must put to death those of your men who have joined in worshiping Baal of Peor. Can you imagine if you were one of the judges? Would you be issuing your judgment or would you be issuing God's judgment? And would it be hubris and pride to think that your judgment was better than God's judgment? And would it be altogether a different kind of hubris and pride to say that you were not good enough to carry out God's judgment if he told you to carry out his judgment? See, sin can be sin because you refuse to do God's will. In James 4, 17, where we hear that when a man knows what God's will is and does not do it, he sins. That sin is not any different than the man who commits an act that God didn't say to do. And yet the whole Christian world focuses on not sinning is don't do anything. But the way the Bible actually puts this is that you're sinning by not doing anything. Well, the whole world has considered humility somebody who sits and doesn't do anything. When the Bible seems to present humility, is someone who does whatever the Lord tells them to do. Do you understand the difference in the way in which we've turned this on its head? Consider this. Then an Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel, While they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Oh man, this grabbed my heart today. Keep your place in this scripture. Can you show them that screenshot? It's the one titled screenshot. When you think of what's going on in the world around us right now, it is extraordinary. There are people rioting in Baltimore. I noticed yesterday that they said there were no riots, but we watched on live television, they hurled hundreds of bricks. In what world that's not a riot, I don't know. I guess it's just bad press for a particular party, and so they downplayed it. Just under it, you see Christians being beheaded. You know, it's an atrocity if somebody takes a picture of a Muslim in a compromised position in a prison named Abu Ghraib. But here on the beach... You can murder 30 Christians at a time, and nobody's calling it an atrocity. In the bottom left-hand corner, we see a human being so confused that he literally does not know if he's a man or a woman. And on the right-hand side, we see a man who is making statements almost every day, absolutely equivalent to Adolf Hitler, and the world doesn't see it as a problem. What happens when immorality is going on right in front of the people of God? While these people in Numbers 25 were weeping, one of their own number was bringing a Midianite woman to his tent in front of his own family, in front of all the leaders of Israel. What would a humble person do? What would a meek person do? Verse 6, then an Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand and followed the Israelite into a tent. He drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites stopped, but those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. What is the cost of sexual immorality? You know? What does it mean if today we redefine marriage to include a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, or why not go for the triplet or the quartet? Hey, why stop there? Why not a man and a dolphin or a girl and her dog? There's an organization in the United States called Manla that is dedicated to grown men having sex with children. Why not that? Where does it end? Well, the people of God were weeping. Some were compromising. And how many well, 24,000 are dying in a single day. What would a humble man do? Hide it in his house and pray? Maybe. Sit and seek God for direction. Maybe. Let me show you what one man did. The Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites, for he was zealous as I am for my honor among them, so that in... In my zeal, I did not put them to an end. Before we read this any further in the NIV, let me put for you a new American standard on the screen. It's a picture, Steph. There we go. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel in that he was jealous with, what's that phrase say? My jealousy among them. So is that humility or not? Not. He was feeling exactly what God wanted him to feel. And he did with that emotion exactly what God wanted him to do. I want to surprise you for a minute. This is not just a problem among Christian theologians. Christians go, well, I mean, that's got to be the Old Testament God. How, I mean, the God we serve is love. The rabbi said the same thing. In fact, they said that Numbers 25 presents a real quandary. Because God did not say for Phinehas, a priest, to go do this. Who did he say should put people to death? The judges. They couldn't reconcile it. But when they got to this statement in Numbers 25, 11, they also couldn't charge him with guilt because he was acting exactly as God had acted. He was feeling exactly. And does God do wrong? So they said, we would have put him to death, but God vindicated him. That I, I'm kidding you not. That's what the rabbis say about this verse. We would have put him to death, but God vindicated him, so who can put him to death? It turns out that for a long time, we've had a real difference of opinion, a real struggle, a conflict inside of us all. Can I be both meek and mighty? Aren't those two things opposed To each other. Well, it turns out that there is a living, breathing, walking Torah. That the Word of God, the Law of God, all 39 books of the Older Testament actually became a human being and walked around among us. The Gospel of John declares that the Word of God, Logos to Theos, became flesh. So, well, Jesus was humble jesus was just like moses well it is true that when you read about moses you see that there was attack against him and he does not defend himself he mounts no opposition moses doesn't go after his brother in fact when his brother and his sister sin against him he actually prays for them can we say that that's meekness yes you can say that you know why Because it's written right there. He was the most humble man on the planet, and he wrote the statement. He must have understood exactly who he was and what his role was. When Moses was jealous for something, it was God's reputation, not his own. What was Phinehas jealous for? I think he was jealous for God's reputation and not his own. I want to give you a couple daily readings that have come up here recently. When we're speaking of meek and mighty, some would say that Moses was meek and Phinehas was mighty. And you could compare and contrast the two. I say, weren't they both both? Isn't it a mighty thing to do to have someone slander you in front of a whole nation and you refuse to speak one word that God didn't speak? You stand back and let God defend you. Is that not a mighty thing to do? Any fool can give vent to his anger. So is it not a strong man that can do that? But let us stand back and say, is that the right choice every time? Is the Christian always silent like a lamb before the slaughter? Or sometimes is the Christian called to speak up, not let up, not back up, to refuse to shut up? See, this is a question that we're going to have to answer it's a question for me. It's a question for you. Because we're living in a day where a lot of things are happening. And it's only going to get worse or better, depending upon your perspective. I'd like to submit to you that in our daily read- readings right now, you can find all kinds of things. In fact, Freddie Gray is a man who apparently experienced police brutality. I don't know what happened. I wasn't there, but I doubt that he had a broken spine before he encountered those men. Everybody's questioning the motives. We have a black elected mayor. We have a black police chief. We have a 50% minority police department. But Pretty sure everybody thinks the only possible reason this man's spine could have been broken is he was black. If that's true, those officers should be shot. But is that the only possible reason that that could have happened? How about this one? I watched a clip yesterday of two people walking down the street in Baltimore who happened to be white. That was their crime. They were not... Worshipping, they were not protesting, they were not political dissidents of one brand or another, they were white. And a crowd began to throw garbage cans at them. When the woman was knocked to the ground, the man did what most men would do. He clenched his fist and stood and said, hey, don't do that. I watched the crowd kick him and beat him. I haven't seen it on the news anywhere. But we're being told that the biggest problem in the world right now is a few racist white people. This problem doesn't cut both ways. These are difficult times. There's a grievance industry right now stirred at getting us to not like each other, convinced that the problems that we face, they have to be related to whether or not you are black or you're white. And if that's not the problem, it has to be whether you're a Democrat Or you're a Republican. The fact that a city is rioting that has been in one party's control for 40 years seems to have escaped everybody's notice. The problem has to be one of these other issues. And then the news outlets drag out the pastors. And the pastors get on there and they say exactly what the political pundits say. Oh yeah, we got racial problems, that's the issue. Oh, yeah, we got police brutality. That's the issue. These are pastors. These are men whose living is supposed to come from telling the truth of the word. And they sound exactly like politicians. This has been going on a long time, friends. In fact, let me show you a picture of Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington is a man who was born a slave. He didn't stay that way. He's of that last generation that was actually born a slave in this country. He was born in 1856. He died in 1915. Booker Washington became an educator, an author, an orator. He was an advisor to not one but several U.S. presidents. And he was born a slave. At the end of his life, as the NAACP was being formed, he said this. There is another class of colored people who make a business of keeping the troubles, the wrongs, the hardships of the Negro race before the public. Some of these people do not want the Negro to lose his grievances because they do not want to lose their jobs. There is a certain class of the race problem solvers who do not want the patient to get well. You know, most of those men today... Actually, wear the title Reverend. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? I'm not going to bore you with all of the defenses against supposed attacks. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that I don't have to explain to you how many black friends that I have, I don't have to explain to you how much I love people of every color. My life's done that. The last time I was accused of being a racist publicly was right there. And I gave the woman a kiss and a hug in front of everybody and then laughed loudly enough that she was embarrassed and walked away. Do you really think that our issues is whether or not we are black or white? Do you think it is really whether or not we came from an economically privileged background or not? How How about this one? I want to show you an article It's titled, We Will Not Obey. This is a a clip that I was just reading today. We will not obey. Christian leaders threaten civil disobedience if the Supreme Court legalizes gay marriage. I actually signed this petition, by the way. You want to know why? I'll tell you why after the service. I'll tell you during the service. I'll tell you in front of any crowd anywhere in the world. There is a line which this pastor cannot be pushed past. And when you're being fined or jailed or discriminated against for holding a belief that has been the majority of belief on this planet since the very first two human beings were here, um, I'm willing to suffer for that one. But understand the shock of this writer. His name is Todd Starnes. He's saying... Christians are saying they would not comply with a law even if the Supreme Court passed it, and there is shock and awe over that. Because after all, these guys are supposed to be meek. They're supposed to be humble. How could they? I mean, we could make up an infraction, burn down houses, burn down a CVS, drag people out of their cars and beat them over a tennis shoe. But how dare those Christians say that they may not follow the ruling of the Supreme Court. Guys, could we wake up? Could we for just a minute not be white Christians and black Christians and Republican Christians and Egyptian Christians and Vietnamese Christians Could we not be Christians? Do you know what comes first in this man's life? Jesus the Christ. And I don't care whether you are from the north or the south. I don't care what color you are. I don't care. Have I seen police brutality? Yes, uphand, uh, close, personal. There's a few in this very town that love their jobs very much. Have I seen racism? My wife can't walk through the H-E-B closest to our house without people saying ugly things about her because she has blonde hair and blue eyes. Does it cut both ways? Of course it does. People are sinners in any variety you can find them. My little girl got to witness a shopping cart collision and a full-blown fist fight because two people were the wrong color in a certain area of town. Is racism a problem in as much as sin is a problem? You know, you could address economic status for the rest of your life. You could address the abuses of people in power and authority for the rest of your life, but it doesn't address the issue, which is sin. A hero that has come out in everybody's eyes. Oh, we love this woman. She goes out on the street, sees her kid in a hoodie, and she begins slapping him upside the head and cursing him six ways from Sunday. And this is the best example of a mother we can find in the area. (laughs) They interview her. She's got six children and is single. You can think that's a color issue if you want. I think it's a sin issue. Am I proud that she tried? Sure, I'm proud that she tried. Is that what we lift up as an example today? How far has this Christian nation fallen off of the wagon? The news media is absolutely shocked that Christians are saying we will not obey. Do you know why the Romans killed Jesus? They considered his claims treason. Do you know why the apostles were beaten by the Sanhedrin? Because they looked right at the Sanhedrin and said, judge for yourself whether we should obey you rather than God. And today, the news media is shocked that a prominent Christian leader would say, I will not obey this law. Maybe it's less shocking because I'm not a prominent Christian leader. I will not obey this law either. I would not even pretend for a moment to consider obeying it. I would be happy to go to jail for breaking these laws. Is that mighty or is that meek? Is this a violation of the principles of Christ? Guys, we've been talking about a problem. What's the solution? Jeremiah supposes... He summarizes the problem. He does it in two or three verses in just a couple chapters. In Jeremiah 6, turn there if you would. Do you all already have this figured out? Okay. I just wanted to know because I can assure you we're going to face it. You know, if a man is a Muslim and he owns a bakery uh, and you ask him to perform a same-sex marriage, uh, he says no and nobody cares. Uh, It's been filmed over and over and over. If you look for it, you just won't find it on the news media. But if Jennifer and David own a pizzeria and somebody says, would you cater our wedding? And you say, really, you want pizza at your wedding? Well, if I did and it was a same sex marriage, would you would you do it? And Jen says, you know, I don't think our business is interested in that. Oh, the whole world descends on this problem. We have to ruin her. Have you all not seen this stuff going on? Well, what is the Christian response? What, what is the right thing to do? I mean, Jesus was humble. Moses was humble. Is Phinehas a bad guy? Eric, are you saying that we should go get spears? Well, you're going to have to hear the rest of the message to know. In the sixth chapter of Jeremiah, he begins outlining the problem in his day, and as it turns out, it's the same as the problem in our day. Starting in verse 13. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. No, are you kidding me? Do you mean that when Booker T. Washington said that there are some who have no interest in fixing the problems of their own race because those problems pay their salaries? Do you mean that that could actually be true? It was true in Jeremiah's day. It's true in our day. Look, I know a lot of really godly folks of every color that God seems to have created. And a few, like Matthew, that we have no idea what he is. (laughs) And as far as I can tell, nobody elected these men. But they make a very fine living, greedy, for causing problems. I even heard some on the news saying the problem, the reason that these people are burning down this CVS is there's no jobs. That's a funny thing for a man in the Congress who is responsible for creating jobs in that very district to say. And he's not new. He's been there for my entire adult lifetime. I heard a mayor say the problem is that this area is underdeveloped. It's got socioeconomic problems. Well, her party has been in charge of that city for almost 40 years. Do you think that there are people in this world that have no real interest in fixing problems and they hate the Word of God? Jeremiah said, From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. Lest you think that this revolves around any one town or any one race. It's been my observation in the last 20 years, the entire movement of contemporary Christian has totally sold itself out for money. You listen to the preaching of 100 years ago and tell me if you hear people trying to raise money for jets. You listen to the preaching 100 years ago, you hear preachers preaching about sin and drawing people to repentance. Today... What you hear is people preaching about wealth and how you can get it. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike practice deceit. One man said, I don't know how to fly the plane. I just know how to buy the plane. Glory to God. And the crowd went wild. And good half of you would read his books and listen to it. You know, prophets and priests prophesying for gain. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Hey, every day, friends, is Friday. You, in fact, are champions. The fact that they're killing babies, no big deal. The fact that my daughter cannot go unescorted into a public restroom anymore? No big deal. What is most important is that you are happy and wealthy and that you know one day you would love to go to heaven as long as God is not there. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No. They have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush when a 67-year-old man can be filmed in a dress on national television and 50% of the American people are okay with it? Have we lost our ability to blush? Do you know when the bikini came out? Now, young men, don't Google this. They couldn't find... Anybody to wear it? I don't know whether you know that. It took years for them to get the bikini to catch on. And the way that they did it, they got strippers to put on a bikini. It was an upgrade for them. And then they told people those were regular women. And they filmed them on secluded beaches or on beaches where the people that were brought in were paid to be there. Until the perception changed that everybody is wearing bikinis. And that's how they sold those things. You could not get a woman in the year they came out to buy them. No one would wear it. Now, we don't even know how to blush. You're God. Y'all are going to get mad at me. I'm the bikini police. I'm your pastor. I love you. I want to see your smiling faces, and that's about all of you that I want to see. The rest, I hope you cover up. And I'm the furthest thing from... Uh, legalistic about anything but I'm just going to tell you nobody's benefited from seeing every little curve on anybody's body you know something should be reserved for the privacy of your own marriage bed and should not be shared anywhere do we need to be desired so badly that we can be used like puppets really are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct no they have no shame at all they do not even know how to blush Hey, turn to the 7th chapter, keep your finger in the 6th, listen to the way he says it here, in seven nine. will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjure and burn incense to Baal to follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. It's almost like Jeremiah just read the latest hyper grace book. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. It turns out that he's not only listening, he's watching. Do you really think our problem is the world? I think it's the worldliness in the church. I think when you bring the standard down to the people, no one has benefited. When you invite people to come up to the standard those who fall at the mercy of God to get there, they're benefited greatly. You know, I can honestly say I have zero fear for my family. None. Because I know what they're tapped into. I know from the time that they could walk, they were calling on their God. I know that during the difficult years that come in all young people's lives, I know that he met them in the middle of it. There are many of you here I have no fear for your families. It's not just some kind of strange crapshoot like a game that you roll dice. Oh, I hope they turn out all right. Maybe we should get that mama of six to chase him out in the street, curse at him, and beat them in front of the whole world. That's parenting today. Or perhaps if you start a child in the way that he should go, he'll never depart from it. Our topic today, lest we lose it, is meekness. Meek and mighty. In Jeremiah six sixteen, we find his solution for the same problem that we have. This is what the Lord says: Stand at the crossroads. Somebody say crossroads. And look. Ask for the ancient path. Say ancient path. Our problem is not that we knew and need a new and inventive way to address this. We need the old tried in true way to address this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it turns out that if you incent people to have babies out of wedlock, if you punish people for being married, or if you redefine marriage to include a man and his dog, it's not good for society. It turns out that God's Word is true. And the fastest way to destroy people It's not slavery. Booker T. Washington made it out of that. It's teaching them that they can go against the Word of God and prosper. And you know what? That's not a black problem. That's not a white problem. That is an American Christendom problem. People believe that they can go against the Word of God and prosper. So Jeremiah says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. In Jeremiah's day, the response was, but we will not walk in it. And you know what that brought. That brought judgment. The the determining factor of whether or not this nation goes into extraordinary judgment or not is what do we do with the ancient crossroad in the ancient path? And let me ask you, whose job is it to stand at the crossroads and call out, I have found the way, and that's not it. I'm going to tell you I've lost any concern for what others think about me or this church. I think Pastor Sutherland said it so well during that excellent message, Heavy Hands. He quoted C.T. Studd. He said, the best qualification for serving God is a lost reputation. Because I've noticed when people think very well of pastors, when they have the potential to run for office or go on Oprah Winfrey or hobnob with the rich and the famous, they begin preaching that you can do whatever you want to do and God will bless it. And I've watched it happen over and over and over in the 23 years I've served the Lord and it's sin. And they're more accountable for it than any other Person, Our problem is not economic. It's not socioeconomic. It's not uh, race relations. It's none of those things. It is quite simply sin. When you find the ancient path, when you find the crossroads and you walk in it, there is a byproduct. It's called rest for your souls. Let us look. I looked at the first floor of the building when we looked at Moses. I looked at the first floor of the building when we looked at Phinehas, an example of a man who all would call humble and a a man all who would call mighty. Well, let us see what happens when the Older Testament takes form in a human being, the living, breathing, walking word of God. Turn with me to Matthew 11. In Matthew 11... starting in verse 28. "'Come to me, all you who are weary and are burdened, "'and I will give you rest. "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, "'for I am gentle and humble in heart.'" Another way to say it is humble and lowly in heart. "'And you will find rest for your souls.'" What will you find? "'Rest for your souls.'" For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Is Jesus meek like Moshe? Is he humble like Moses? Well, he said he was, and it was written down. So like Moses, do you give him the award for humility and take it away from him when he wears it? It turns out that the way that we've defined humility has always been wrong. Did Jesus think too highly of himself or was what he was saying true? Did he think too lowly of himself and so he couldn't possibly say what was obviously true about him? It turns out he was completely comfortable saying exactly what the Father told him to say, just like Moses, or not saying anything that the Father didn't tell him to say. Jesus had no resistance to the Father's will. That makes him perfectly humble. You know... Rest for your souls. It turns out that in human beings, we have this tent that we live in. We call it a body. People spend a lot of time investing in it. These days, they make all kinds of additions and even a few subtractions from it. And there's the center of you. The Bible sometimes refers to it as your heart. Occasionally refers to it as your soul, but usually the heart refers to the spirit. This is the part of you that is born again. And there's a bridge between your spirit and your body, and it's called your soul. It's your mind, will, and emotions. And you know what is really torn up and burdened and just has the hardest time? Your mind, will, and emotions when you cannot figure out whether you should be a lion or a lamb when you cannot figure out whether or not you should be meek or mighty? And the answer is, of course, both and none. You have every responsibility to yoke yourself to Jesus and do exactly what the Word of God tells you to do. You have no responsibility to do anything the Word of God doesn't tell you to do. The answer is not that we are one Or the other, the answer is the word in you makes you both. And if you're unwilling to be one or the other, you are sinning. So let me ask you, do you have the ability to be mighty? Or only some false sense of meekness? Will you go to jail for the gospel if the Lord asks it of you? Everyone says yes, but I've been at the very same meetings where they all run. Everyone says they'll give their life for the gospel, but they... They suddenly can't go on the trip because it's just too dangerous. I heard the cartel are there. You know, when you are in touch with the king of kings, Jesus was meek like Moshe. He goes on and says something so simple. He says, learn from me. Do you know how many times this stuff is repeated in the scripture? John 13, 15, he set them an example, says. You can put these on the screen. John 13, 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Well, if that's gentle and quiet, we're good with it. But what do you do when he turns over the tables in the temple? What do you do when he says, you tell that fox I'll press on today and tomorrow and on the third day I'll reach my goal? What do you do when he is angry because they're mad at him for, and the scripture says angry because he is healed on the Sabbath and they're accusing him of wrong? What do you do with those? How about Philippians 2.5? Your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Did Jesus have a different attitude than they did in the Older Testament? No, he is the living, breathing, walking culmination, the personification of the Old Testament. How about 1 John 2.6? If, you, if you're going to say that you're in him, you got to walk as he walked. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Then did he walk as a lamb or does he walk as a lion or does he walk as both? How about John 14, 30? This is my all-time favorite. I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. You want to know what humility is? It's doing exactly what the Father commands you. So you're going to have some interesting tests that are going to come your way. You might actually have to hear from God. Somebody might not be able to make the decision for you. You own a bakery these days. You're liable to get a phone call that asks you to do something that's indecent. How do you know whether you should or shouldn't do it? Say, well, the Word says, really, you can find a verse that says that you should or should not bake a cake for somebody? You're going to have to know what the Lord says. I'm going to tell you, I have done homosexual weddings. They just were no longer homosexuals when I did their wedding. They got born again and accepted heterosexual lifestyles and have prospered ever since. We were all something at one time. But when you are born again, your nature changes. Now, if you refuse to talk to a homosexual, how will he get born again? How will she get born again? I'm not against the people. I'm against the evil practices. And I think the most loving thing that you can do is tell somebody when they're being a racist. Tell somebody when they're being entitled. Tell somebody when they are practicing sin. It is not loving to look the other way. Ignore it. Call yourself humble because we don't want to make waves. Is that how Jesus lived? You know, 1 John 5, 3 makes an all-time crazy statement. I mean, one that, truthfully, the church just doesn't believe. This is love for God, to obey His commands. His commands are not... It turns out that a yoke in the ancient world is not just the thing that goes on the animal. You've heard a thousand messages about an older animal and a younger animal and how they're yoked together and you never yoked two animals that were not the same kind and and all of those things. But to a Jew, I promise he didn't think Jesus was wearing a yoke. Your yoke referred to your way of life. He was not particularly burdened about anything because he had yielded every decision that he made to the father and he only did what the father told him to do do i try to be a lion or do i try to be a lamb i tried to be exactly like my father and it turns out he's fully capable of being both christians there are going to be situations you're going to have to stand for your convictions you're going to have to If we do not, we will be guilty of the same thing that the people who are doing them. It's called tacit approval. Not only those who practice such things, the first chapter of Romans says, but also those who approve of them. God will put you in a situation where you will have to be as bold as a lion. And He will put you in situations much like Moses was where you're attacked on every side and He will require you to be as meek as a lamb looks, but they're really exactly the same thing. They're submission to the Father. In John 2, 15, let us read that together. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers. And He overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, He said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn My Father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume Me. Why did Jesus take on the money changers? Why did He turn over the tables? Why did a man that fits a description as humble... Do such a thing because he was humble. And when he got wind of the father's feeling and the father's desired action, he was humble enough to do exactly what the father told him to do. A humble man is not turning over tables because he's having a fit of rage. He's turning over tables because his father is full of wrath and wants to express it on the earth about that subject. What's the difference between Moses and Phinehas? They had exactly the same heart, exactly the same submission, and it was expressed in ways that looked different to you and I. Meek or mighty? Friends, meek is mighty. It's having all God's power only used at His discretion. Jesus was meek like Moses, and Jesus was mighty like Phinehas. The question is, do you have the Constitution... To be both, or do we have to play the games the world plays? The world says white people are rich, cops are crooked, blacks are criminals, Jews are good in business and Indians own all the taxicabs. You hear it all. Do you meet exceptions to those rules? In fact, are the rules themselves kind of laughable? How many of you who are white think that you're rich? How many of you who are black think that you're a criminal? Okay. These are labels other people have tried to put on, on the human race. It oversimplifies the problems. Or rather, it maybe even makes them complex when they're as simple as you're either a sinner or not. We are told as Christians that we have to be humble. And what that means by the people who are saying it is shut up, sit back, and take it. I can tell you that that is not Jesus. Jesus did exactly what the Father said to do. God is not divided into two categories. He is not a lamb or a lion. He is not meek or mighty. God is not divided at all. Turn with me to Mark 12 and 28, and this will be our second to last scripture, and I want to see if this presents a solution for you. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all of the commandments, which one's the most important? Don't put it on the screen. Go back. Don't look at your Bibles. Look at me. Everybody look at me. It's not an open book test for just a minute. What is the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. Well, let's see what Jesus said. The most important one, just to make sure we're talking about the same thing, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, Could you be honest for a minute? How many of you did not know that that was the answer? We didn't grow up in a culture that was biblical. I know we were told that America was a Christian nation. It's a joke. When were we a Christian nation? When we owned slaves? When were we a Christian nation? During the years that Prohibition looked holy for a while, but created tunnels in every city and created political dynasties. I mean, what a, when, when when is it that we were, were God's nation? Israel is God's nation. And he taught them from the very beginning a phrase. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, when you hear this as a Western person, oh, the Lord is one. As in, not two, not three, not ten, He's one. We see it as a kind of declaration about quantity, if you will. Uh, What if He's not quantifying the monistic, monotheistic deity? What if that's not what He's doing? What if instead He's expressing that God is capable of expressing meekness, mightiness, compassion, anger, and yet He is still completely unified. He didn't have to switch camps. What if this is an expression that speaks of the undivided commitment to the unified will of God? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, is one shema yisrael adonai elohenu adonai ihad ihad is one of those words you heard dennis pence preach about this you've heard a bunch of us preach about it there are so many ways he could have said one if he simply meant a singular entity which of course it does mean but it also means a plurality expressed as one I want you to understand that God is not conflicted. There is no division in Him. He does not go, oh no, if I turn over the tables in the temple, people will think I'm not loving. Oh no, it will contradict the idea that my servants are humble. He has no concern about such things because he cannot be stereotyped in those terms. He is both. He's compassionate enough to love you right where you are and holy enough to say, you strive for holiness or I will burn you. Church, we're going to have to mature in our faith. We're going to have to reach a place where we can understand more than just Christian bumper stickers and platitudes. You're going to have to actually know the character and the nature of your God. Otherwise, how will you know whether or not to comply or not comply with something that is sinful, but they're not asking you to do it, and yet they kind of are. How will you know? Have you ever wondered that? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Your heart, your soul, and your strength. Do you hear that you have three things there? You have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. But how many people are you? Every problem in your life comes from a conflict between those three things. Your flesh wants what your flesh wants. Your mind will and emotions begin trying to justify it so that your spirit will submit to it. you know But when the spirit of a man knows the will of God and the flesh is carrying it out, you know what happens to the soul? You find rest for your weary soul. Brother JJ preached a message many years ago you could look up called rest walking. You can be completely at rest on the journey with God because you're no longer driving. Yeah. There is no debate between lion or lamb. You have to absolutely be both as God dictates it. And we had a prophecy some months ago that told us many of us who were lambs would have to learn to be lions. And many who were lions would have to learn to be lambs. Please don't take from that that you choose one over the other. God requires of every Christian the ability to do both. Do you know why? Because it's exactly what the world needs. It needs you to be able to turn the other cheek in absolute love and face a firing squad with tenacity because you will not yield on the smallest conviction because your father said so. I would like to see that you had a little Moses in you. I'd like to see that you had a little Phinehas in you. And the only way to know whether it's God or not is whether or not he's directing it. Let me ask you, could you ever see a man sit back in silence, not defend anything, and it be sin? Of course. Happens all of the time. But it wasn't when Moses did it. Could you see a man pick up a spear, take matters into his own hands, and that be sin? Yes, but it wasn't when Phinehas did it. How do you know the difference? We have to get close to our Father. Twice a day. I'm going to read you just a part of this. I'm still in the same scripture. I'm not lying to you. Verse 7. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Say lie down. down. Say "Get get up. How many times a day is that? If you were going to take the yoke of the kingdom upon you as a Jew... That probably doesn't even make any sense to you. The kingdom of God is not Disneyland in the sky. You don't buy tickets and go there at the end of your life, and Joel Osteen can't sell them to you, okay? That's, that is not how that works. The kingdom is the completed creation. It is when lamb is lying down with wolf, God's presence is upon the earth, dwelling with man and man with him, us in bodies that never die, no more death, no more mourning. You all know these scriptures, Yes? That is the kingdom of God. In the beginning of taking the yoke of the kingdom upon you in the first century to any Jew, the very first requirement is twice a day that you quote the Shema. They did it from Babylon forward. They did it from the days of Ezra and Nehemiah forward because it was a reminder every day that you will go where he says to go. You will pray what he says to pray. You will do what he says to do, and that your will and your life are not your own anymore. Did y'all feel the anointing on that song when we were singing it earlier? We're going to sing it again because Jesus promised us something. If we take his yoke upon us, we find rest for our souls. He said it's easy and it's light, and yet you get crucified for it. So how is that? Because the commands aren't burdensome if you've decided that whatever they are, you do them. There's no more struggle. Your soul can rest in that. You rest in the fact that you no longer choose, in this situation, am I meek or am I mighty? In this situation, I am whatever He says to me. No matter what that means for me, the choice is out of our hands. All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength expresses that you are one, even as he is one. Can you understand it in that light? Not singular, unified. When is the last time a revelation so filled your heart and mind that you could say it's permeated my spirit? It's permeated my soul and it's permeating the deeds of my flesh because that's what the kingdom is like. We're going to pray for healing in a minute. Not because I particularly feel like praying for healing. But I felt earlier in the service as if God wanted to do that. Matthew felt earlier in the service as if God wanted to do that. And you know what? When he wants to do something, if it's as bold as a lion or if it's as meek and as humble as a little lamb, we no longer have the right to choose to do anything other than what he said. Please don't be typecast as someone who sits back quietly or as somebody who has a loud mouth. You should be both. You should do exactly what your king requires of you whenever he requires it. By the way, if you would like a copy of the Shema, I made copies on paper for you. But of course, it's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. is Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. And it's Numbers 15, 37, 41. And ask yourself, if every day when I woke up and every day when I went to bed, I reminded myself that this was my highest priority, would Alex prophecy today about the plans that you make be affected? Oh, church, we don't need to decide what a Christian image is and live up to that. We don't need to do that. What if they're wrong? We need to know our Father's business, and we need to do it because the days are coming when the stereotypes are going to be broken. It's going to happen. Those who look mighty are going to be debased, and those who look debased will show themselves mighty. It's going to happen. I can assure you, I can feel it in the core of my bones and it's only been growing for years. It goes beyond this administration. It goes beyond this Supreme Court. It goes beyond all of those petty issues and it gets at the core. Sin is increasing and righteousness has to increase right alongside it. Okay, our very last scripture. My daily readings, by the way, right now are in Nehemiah um, They are in Numbers, they are in Acts, and they are in Matthew. Hence, where our sermons come from, daily bread. Acts 11 and verse 23 is a peculiar scripture. Matthew, would you come up here? This is Barnabas. Barnabas is a hero of mine in the Bible because everybody thinks Paul outshined him. (laughs) And you would not have a Paul if you did not first have a Barnabas. So I admire that. Barnabas is the he here. When he arrived and saw the evidence of God's grace, say evidence of grace. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. When Barnabas shows up in Antioch and he finds that there are real believers there, he knew it because there was evidence to support their claims. And his one encouragement to them was not to figure out the positioning of the rapture. It was not to solve fermentation or no fermentation or Armenian-Calvin debates. His one encouragement to them was to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts because our God is one. He's undivided every day. He can be both meek and mighty, but we often are completely segmented, so much so that we think we have a spiritual life and a secular life, we think that we have an aggressive side and a humble side, you are one. Because He's one. We can be multifaceted as many gifts of the Spirit as there are. We can be multifaceted as many fruits of the Spirit as there are. And they all come from the one true God. Do not be backed into a corner. The world can be shocked if James Dobson, the world can be shocked if Mike Huckabee say that they would not follow the Supreme Court's decision. But it should not be a shocking thing because this is the nature of our God. He has often called righteous men to take their stand in ways that other people thought looked treasonous. You understand? We're going to sing where you go I will go we're gonna sing what you pray I will pray and it's not just a good song what if it was a declaration that you made true tomorrow how is it that fifty percent of this nation could be okay with same-sex marriage and it be three percent of the population because they're full-time activists. what would happen if the other ninety-seven percent of the nation was full-time activist we wouldn't even be facing these issues This has happened because the church has been cowtailed into a corner and accepted the narrative that humble and like Christ is silent, toothless, powerless in the corner. That is not Christ. That is not Moses. That's not Phinehas. That's not the book that we're reading. Could we stand to our feet in more ways than one?